Hello, everybody. Welcome to the International Buzz podcast brought to you by WordBee. This is Mark Schreiner, and I will be your host for this episode of the International Buzz podcast. I'm here today with a person who's been in the industry, the localization industry, for quite a few years. It's uh, Tucker Johnson. Tucker has worked in a variety of roles with companies such as We Localize and Moravia, and now is the co-founder and managing director of NIMSI. Tucker, how are you today? Good. How are you? Good, good. Did you have a good Christmas? I did have a good Christmas. I was just telling you before the podcast, uh, the whole family's sick right now. So if if you hear me coughing through the podcast, I do apologize. No worries. We can always edit those out. And uh, I guess uh, having young kids is uh, one of the joys of parenting is the kids always bring home the, the latest, greatest colds or flus or whatever, right? The gift that keeps on giving. Exactly. Well, hey, Tucker, um, maybe before we get started here, could you just give us a little bit more information or a little bit more color to your background and your experience in the, in the local industry? Sure. So uh, my background starts, oh, I reckon about over a decade ago, I got my first job in localization, a little company called Glyph Language Services over in Spokane. And I had never heard of localization before. Mm-hmm. This was back in the day. Before, I mean, people didn't study localization. People didn't aspire to become localization project managers. And really what drove me to the industry was um, hunger, (laughs) like the electric company. I needed to pay my bills. And I had traveled a little bit previously. I had studied some languages. I studied Spanish, studied German, and saw this job for this translation company up in Spokane, Mm -hmm. which at the time I thought was a suburb of Seattle, right? (laughs) Right. And long story short, I ended up taking the job. Was that when Aaron was the CEO? Of Aaron Slim. Yeah, yeah. yeah I just yeah. talked to Aaron a couple of weeks ago. He's doing good. He has his own new company now, Idiosync, I think. Yeah. I Actually, the first time I met Aaron was in this office. Yeah, I met him in this office. Actually, it was up, upstairs, and that was maybe 11, 12 years ago. Yeah. And at that time, I was just getting my toes into the localization industry. And it's funny you talk about the localization industry. For people who are outside the industry, if you tell them you're in the localization industry, they look at you like, what? And then if you say, well, I work for a translation company they kind of get it but what language do you speak exactly right right, right. Well, <laughs> yeah. no, i'm not actually a translator uh, you know yeah. <laughs> but it's interesting well you you worked for uh, after glyph i guess you went on and you you worked for we localize which is a very large company these days yeah and then you worked for moravia and um, you were working on some very large accounts there. Is that is that correct? Yep, yep. So went to We Localize, um, moved over here to Seattle. Was there a few years, I think, um, project managing for mm-hmm. them. And, you know, being in Seattle, you're always going to end up working on the Microsoft right. stuff, right? So worked on my various Microsoft accounts for six to eight years, mm-hmm. I think, whether it was at We Localize or then at Moravia. So got to know... The very like localization has a unique culture mm-hmm. as an industry right. itself, but I got to know like the subculture of doing localization with Microsoft, okay. which was really interesting. Can and you can you explain a little bit about that? Give, give some examples. Well, just the way that they interact with vendors, the way that it's very, I would say, decentralized mm-hmm. at Microsoft. I remember at we Lo- at the time when I was at we localize. I think we, we could never really get, and this isn't uh, a jab at we localize. They're a great company. It's just how I felt at the time. 
we can never really get Microsoft right, right? Because we kept talking about the Microsoft account, the right. Microsoft account. Right. And there is no Microsoft account. It's to work with Microsoft is to work with 40 sub accounts, right? Okay. Each one of them has their own unique needs and integrations you need to build and workflows and special requirements. So. The reason that's important is from an LSP's perspective, you're always looking for ways that you can create efficiencies or automate stuff out, build standardization into the process. And you can't do that if you're working with like 20 to 30 to 40 smaller accounts. And a lot of these big companies are the same. I know Amazon's the same way. There is no Amazon account. There's a bunch of small accounts when you choose to do business with Amazon. And I, I can imagine some of the larger Silicon Valley companies are the same. So it's really getting used to like the individual needs of each account right and different levels of maturity right between those accounts um, let me ask you this if, if you were a LSP that wanted to target a large company like Microsoft or Amazon or you were an account manager project manager that was going to engage with these types of large organizations what advice would you give if you're talking about like a smaller LSP wanting to get their foot in the door sure with sure. Microsoft I think there's that is what is the frustration of a larger LSP, like say your Lionbridge, your relocalizes, your Moravias, can be the opportunity of a smaller LSP mm -hmm. because there's so many different groups and they're not all centrally managed under a central procurement function. Okay. I mean, they are, but not really, right? No. So if you can get your foot in the door with a certain stakeholder or a certain group within Microsoft and do a really good job for them, then you can create a really strong internal sponsor on the okay. client side who can advocate for you and get you into other groups. I think that's a, a great lesson. And in fact, I think that can transfer over to almost any organization or any sales opportunity. Just get your foot in the door, do a good job, prove that you can deliver, and then expand on that relationship. I've seen where companies uh, in fact, some of the companies that we're just talking about, but I won't get too specific, have bitten off more than they, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> they, they bite off more than they can chew because you, you'll, they'll, they'll find a stakeholder that has a need. And the stakeholder said, you know, hey, we need help on this. Are you sure you can handle it all? And, you know, everybody's like, yeah, we can do it. We can do it. And then you have to run and scramble and figure out how you're going to deliver. And if you fail, guess what? You lose. Yep. And it takes it a long time. High stakes. Yes, it's, big, it's, it's really high stakes, right? Well, um, and you got to decide too, like, what, what is your end goal? Why are you servicing this account? Right. Now, are you in this to make money, to make a margin in the short term? Or are you in this, this is a true strategic account, right? right. And I see people, companies struggle because they can never answer that. They can, but maybe they don't have the guts to answer that question. Mm -hmm. They want to have the best of both worlds, right. right? Now, if it's a strategic account, Treat it like a strategic account. You put your best project manager on there, no expenses barred, you go for it. You deliver excellent service. You might make a little bit of margin on it. You might go into the red a few quarters, right? But if it's a strategic account, go for it. When you say strategic account, what exactly do you mean on that? Right, right. So the way I use, just because it's the way I've used it in the past, the terminology strategic account, is this is an account that we see growing in the future and we want to grow with it, Okay. right? So it might not be the Microsoft today 
or the Apple or the Google today, but you know, think like a startup, right? Think like I want to work with what's a hot start. You know, think like Uber three years ago, right? Right. Some someone who you're not going to make a lot of money on this year, but you think you're you're placing a bet. You're placing sure. a strategic bet that they're going to grow and you want to grow with them. Okay, right. makes sense. So after your work with Microsoft at We Localize and then Moravia. Okay, you have gone out on your own now and uh, co-founded Nimzi. Tell us what was behind your thought process on that, or did I get the the chronological events in place in the direction? Yeah, there's not a lot of complexity. Yeah, it's a glyph. We localized Moravia and Nimzi. I've right, worked okay. through there, and I don't have a lot of. I haven't had a lot of side gigs or any side gigs in that time. Nimzi is the answer to what we perceive. Me and my partner Renato perceived to be a need in the industry mm-hmm. right now. And what I see in the industry, this is my observation, the industry is growing faster at a faster rate than we can produce experienced, qualified people to help sustain that growth, right? Okay. And so what we're going to be seeing is a lot of more I, I hate to use the term junior because I'm less experienced, less experienced, you know, people very, very bright, very smart, younger people, but they don't have the years and years of experience. The experience like somebody that you had, for example, or the experience that you had managing an account like Microsoft. I mean, that would be really intimidating, challenging for somebody who didn't have the background. Right. Okay. Right. Yeah. For example. Right. So the industry is growing faster than the rates of number of people in the industry with experience. And so I think that there's going to be a need moving forward in this industry for experienced people and for information, right? Whether that takes the form of training, whether that takes the form of market research, like what NIMSI is doing, whether it takes the form of consulting, right? And I think NIMSI is coming onto the scene in a time where we're able to take advantage of that. Because the industry is continuing to mature, Mm -hmm. right? And a couple signs, I believe, of a mature industry is, first of all, the number of outside or third parties reporting on that industry, okay. right? So Common Sense Advisory has been around for a while. Renato worked with Common Sense Advisory. He founded that back in the day with Don De Palma. Um, Slater is a newcomer. Slater's doing awesome work reporting news, industry news and events, what's happening in the industry. And with each new company that's reporting or support, reporting on or supporting the localization industry, I think that's a sign that the localization maturity is coming into its own. Sure. So NIMSI looks to bring our own brand of market insights into that space. Okay. So let's back up a little bit. You mentioned training, research, and was there one more? That- and consultation. And consulting. And consulting. Let's take a look at each one of those. In terms of training, what kind of training does NIMSI provide or do you see a need for in the market? So I see, and this goes a little bit so as, as far as training there's two types of training there's corporate training training people at LSPs training people on the client side how to run a localization program how to build something out and then there's the more academic which is new okay that's new in this industry sure. right like I said back when I first started in the industry I there were no I couldn't go get a bachelor's degree in localization right. nowadays they have programs Middlebury Institute we just got back from Monterey a couple months ago Renato and I were doing a weekend course on the general theory of the translation company Mm -hmm. for them. And they have a whole program built around that. And that's another sign of maturity in the industry. The, The fact that these education programs are being built up around it. 
there's a program, we're talking to someone who reached out to us from a university over in London and said, hey, we, we got your book, we'd like to order some for the library, we're putting together a course. University of Washington, right mm -hmm. across the lake here, they're putting together, they're fleshing out their localization program. So I think there's a big opportunity there to help contribute to educating these younger and less experienced people that right. we were just talking about and helping build them up right. so that they can manage an account like Microsoft. Totally makes sense. I mean, I guess my experience or what I've seen in the localization industry is a lot of it's OJT. And so, you know, you get thrown in and oftentimes you get thrown in the deep end and yep. and that can sometimes work out and sometimes it can cause a lot of stress both on the people and the clients and then that can lead to turnover and blah, blah, blah. But it's nice if people can get a running start because they get, you know, a foundation of skills, knowledge, information, and a network, um, yep. and then they enter the industry uh, and they have that support as well. You mentioned okay, so training, and then what types of research do you provide, or are you, are you, what, what what topics are really topical these days? Right. So for NIMSI, that's that's our backbone, right? And I see the market research that we're doing. We're, we're publishing reports. So basically our model is a subscription model. Okay. We, we partner with our clients and they'll, they'll partner with us for 12 months and they'll get access to all of our market reports that okay. we're putting out there. And we have a roadmap right now mm -hmm. of reports that we'd like to publish. We've been talking to a lot of different people in the industry, trying to understand where the gaps are. Because okay. we don't want to publish papers just to publish papers, right? right? We want to actually be solving or filling a gap right. in the industry. So we've worked really hard talking to people, putting together this roadmap. And it's like, okay, here's where we think the gaps are in the industry. And so here's, here's the research that we're going to do. And we're going to publish and make available to our partners through these, we, we call them insight reports, okay. right? And those are available online to our partners at nimsy.com. And topics range from the standard, you know, industry sizing, right? Right now we're working on 2017 industry sizing. Mm -hmm. How big is the local industry? What's the growth rate? Who are the top players in it? Financial reports, stuff like that. And we want to do more niche stuff, look at industries or sub subsectors of the industry that maybe aren't covered as much. Right now, we're just publishing a report on multilingual voiceover, for example. It's okay. something that not everybody's really paying attention to. And through doing the research on this and, and compiling information from other sources, too, BTI gave a great presentation at Slater. Slater did a write-up on it, too. Okay. You can check it out there. Sure. And they have a lot of fascinating information about the global voiceover industry, um, compiling information from there, compiling information from other sources, and putting it together and saying, hey, here's kind of a succinct, digestible report that you can take a look at and get an idea of what's going on with multilingual voiceover. So, and I don't want to get uh, or ask you to give away the, the information for free here, but it's a kind of a fascinating uh, topic. In that space, do you find the emerging solutions are more uh, technology or platform related, or is it more about just getting the, the right pool of talent together, or is it both? So it's both. And that's funny that you say you don't want to ask me to give stuff away. I would love to give stuff away for free okay. for a couple of reasons, because okay. I think a lot of the challenges that we face in the localization industry are self-imposed because we don't have shared access to high quality information. I agree. So if if I win the lotto tomorrow, I'd still keep doing what I'm doing mm -hmm. with Nimsy and we just give everything away for free, right? Okay. But to answer your question more specifically here, both. 
okay. right? And, and the way I see it, and this may be an oversimplification, but the way I see it is voiceover, when it comes to multilingual voiceover, is essentially facing the same challenges that translation is, but they're 10 years behind, okay. right? So technology is affecting the voiceover industry the same way today as it was affecting the translation industry 10 years ago. And like I said, that may be an oversimplification, but we're seeing a rise of the barrier to entry for voiceovers getting smaller. So we're seeing the rise of home studios, right? right? People aren't having to centralize voiceover services in Los Angeles, London, New York, these central locations anymore. It can be recorded with a reasonable degree of quality anywhere in the world, right? So places or sites, companies like Voices.com, Voices123, Bodalgo, they're what's known as P2P, pay-to-play sites. Okay. So it's essentially this Match.com model where voiceover talent can go in, create an account, and bid on projects that are submitted by buyers. So it's this, this yeah. very cut-out-the-middleman, reduced cost, sure. right? Now... We see models like that in the translation industry too, right? Right, where these TMS companies or technology companies seeking to hook buyers directly up with the translators, and it's the same challenges. Like, yes, the price is lower, but the cost, the end cost, essentially, who knows? It might actually work out to be higher because all of those studio services for voiceover, whether it's the voice coaching or the production or the audio engineering those are being pushed upstream onto the buyer. So they're going to have to do those in-house. So the end cost, total cost, might actually end up being higher. Yeah, it's interesting. I actually did um, some consulting work with Gengo uh, about mm. five, six years ago. There's another one, yeah. Yeah, and that's a crowdsourced solution for translation. Um, and they have a platform to connect to the buyers and sellers. The issue at that time, and I won't speak for them now, but the issue at that time, the, or the challenge, big challenge was when you go after enterprise clients, they expect a certain amount of handholding um, and they have you know uh, different types of documents that they need processed and there might be DTP involved, et cetera. And just having a crowdsource solution for or platform for translation only actually is um, uh, maybe just a small percentage of their of their overall need. Yep. And if you tell an enterprise client, here, just go to our website and do it yourself, the, mm, <laughs> and especially if, it, if the solution doesn't include translation memory, um, then you, you, you miss out on the opportunities. Then as the platform tries to evolve into something that's more friendly for enterprise clients, then they actually have, like you said, have to pack in those costs. And so their yep. costs, and, and, then, and so there's that ongoing challenge. I mean, sometimes it's just, you know, the timing of the technology. The technology gets better, um, you know, prices go down. It's kind of crazy. I mean, just, a, you know, a, an observation that relates to this, but a little bit off track. I've been out of the States for nine years, um, you know, living in Singapore and Japan. And uh, we moved back here, moved back into our house, and we have to get things like, you know, all the, the appliances, et cetera. But my kids were talking about getting a big screen TV, and I was like, oh, no way we're getting a big screen TV. That's cost a fortune, right? Right. Well, I was in a Best Buy. You can get a TV the size of your wall for like 400 bucks. Yeah. It's just crazy, right? So, I mean, it just shows how, you know, technology over time improves and comes down uh, dr drastically in price. And so for some of these companies, I, I kind of feel that if they can just hold in there long enough while the technology evolves and costs mm -hmm. come down, they'll, they'll, they'll make that turn. Well, that, that's a good analogy with the TV. Like, let me ask you, if, if that same TV was $3,000, would you have bought it? No. No, right? <laughs> and that's what technology is doing is that, it's lowering the cost, but I wouldn't necessarily say that 
it's taking away any work. It's oh, creating no. more work. Right. Because, you know, that TV didn't take away your decision to buy a different TV. Mm-hmm. It created a new market segment that sure. was more that was more price sensitive. Right. right? So same with um, translation, same with voiceover technology. Look at like text to speech. Right. Right. This is this is the, the new technology that's coming up there. I say it's like the equivalent of machine translation. 10 years behind, right? right? But it, it's the technology that's affecting the voiceover industry. Now, if someone wants to do voiceovers, no one's going to take a look at text-to-speech where it's at right now and say, I want to have this voiceover because I want the emotional appeal or to translate this marketing content or this advertising campaign, but I want to save costs, so I'm just going to do text-to-speech. They're not going to do that, right? right? What text-to-speech is going to do is it's going to allow you to do something where previously you would have done nothing, right? Right. So maybe instructional videos on how to use my products, sure. how-to videos. Sure, we can do text-to-speech, and we can do text-to-speech into 20 languages for a very low cost. Yeah, I, I, and I can't remember where I saw it, but I, I saw, I read an article recently that basically quoted a, a very large buyer of translation, and he said, you know, as costs come down, we just buy more and more. Yeah. You know, it's not like we're cutting our budget. Um, we're just able now to mm-hmm. translate more, which is great for everybody. More with less. Exactly. That's that's the keyword. I would say that's the keyword of 2017. It'll be the keyword of 2018, 2019, 2020. More with less. Localization buyers want to do more with less. And having worked on the LSP side for a while, that's the one thing in common. All the clients wanted to do more with less. It's not that they wanted to reduce cost just to save some money. They wanted to reduce costs so they could do more, right? So that's the challenge. Like from the supplier side, how do we do more with less and get legitimate, real efficiencies? And I say real efficiencies because the lazy way to do it is to hire a an intern instead of a senior project manager. The lazy way to do it is to go to your vendors and say, hey, guess what? We're going to pay you 15% less now and you're going to like it. Have you been reading any of my old, my, my old posts? I mean, that's, well, that, that's one of my biggest gripes in the industry. And, and I've worked for companies, again, not going to name no names here, but um, <coughs> the, yeah. their, their whole idea for the, our fiscal plan for next year is we're going to cut costs. Uh, <laughs> and, you know, and so what happens when you cut costs? Yeah, initially you do recognize or realize some bigger margins margins. But when you hire uh, junior PMs who don't have the proper skill set and they mess up a large account, ultimately down the road, you're going to lose. When yep. you bring on translators, when your best translators refuse to work with you anymore because you've asked them to take a haircut and say, hey, you know what, we're not going to pay you what we used to pay you. Or you're going to use this tool, by the way, it's going to cost you $1,000. Exactly. You have to buy it. Yeah. And then you get translators who will just refuse to work with you or maybe they'll take your job and sub it out to other people because they're like, well, it's not worth my time. And that's, you know, it's all, it's all business decisions here. And then you you end up turning in a poor quality translation, which ends up pissing off your client, and you lose that client. And that's one of my biggest gripes about this industry is there's um, there's too much short sightedness. Yes. And people are, are managing by spreadsheet. And I and yes. I, I, I've been in meetings with with some of the biggest companies and the, I guess biggest executives in those companies where that was the whole strategy. And with one company, they actually sent out an email to all of their freelance translators and, and vendors uh, right before Christmas saying, well, you know, due to our um, extra costs and everything like that, we're gonna have to reduce your rate. And you know, it just pissed people off. Oh yeah. yeah so. Or at the end of the year, you, you get the, 
the email from the LSP saying, oh, our records show that we did $60,000 worth of work with you, you this year. So we'd like to a 5% right. discount retroactive. Yeah. And, and I got to say, like, come on, guys. Exactly. Come on. And, and you know when you're on the project management side or even on the sales side where I've, I've been most of the time, what you want to do is you got the project. And God, please let our best translators be available. Mm -hmm. And if they're available, then you can rest at ease. But, yep. but if they're not, they say, hey, you know, I'm busy, I'm maxed out. And maybe they are, maybe they're not, but they just don't want to work with you anymore. Yeah. Now you've got to roll the dice and try to find somebody else. And it's just not worth it. I'm telling you, being a project manager, that's my background, project management. It's, it's one of the toughest jobs because you're right between a rock and a hard place, right? And project management managers, uh, most companies will carry margin goals, right? Right. So their their yearly or quarterly bonuses are based upon whether they met their margin goals. Now you tell me, how is a project manager going to do a good job and also decrease the margin, right? As a project manager, I can decrease the margin by either screwing my customer, by either taking advantage of my customer, increase the margin or decrease the margin, increase the margin, okay, okay. By either overcharging my customer and hoping they don't find out right. or by cutting quality steps right. or finding lower cost translators, right. right? That's it. So essentially, as a project manager, if you say you have to meet this margin and you're underperforming, what you're telling them is you need to stop doing such a good job. Right. <laughs> right? Yeah. Yeah. No, it's a, it's, it's a tough role. In fact, uh, one of the other things that I've noticed in our, in our industry is the, and I, I think you guys had a blog post about this recently, but the the churn or the turnover is is quite high, you know, and, and if you go on to say Glassdoor or whatever, and you look at local companies, most of them don't have a very high rating in terms of employee satisfaction. And, and I got to say, you know, when you get 25, 30% turnover in the PM role, it's going to translate, no pun intended, into <laughs> dissatisfied clients because oh. clients are used to dealing with with, with with Tucker and then they send an email and, well, Tucker's no longer with us. Well, why not? He understands everything about our right. projects, right? And now we've got to train somebody else. And, you know, sometimes it's, uh, it's an intangible cost there, but it, it is a cost. So this is something that... You know, I, I don't want to just talk about Moravia, but I spent six years there, mm -hmm. right? Something Moravia has done very well. I can't think of another LSP in the industry that I'd rather work for okay. other than Moravia. They have they have good turnover, like low turnover, and they, they've done a good job of recognizing that and treating their, their project managers good. And so when I leave Moravia, I let my clients know, oh, we're sorry to see you go. Yeah, good luck on your new adventure. But at the end of the day, they don't care. Mm. You, know, you know, program director, whatever my title was, Tucker. Yeah, what, whatever. Is my PM staying the same? Right. I still get to work with Marina? Okay, right. we're good. Right. Right? Yep. Because that's the person who knows what they want. So, right? let me, so let me ask you, what does Moravia do? And we're not, again, we're not trying to turn this to a, a Moravia commercial, but, but uh, you know, yeah. I, I think it's all Moravia, about flexible it. thinking, reliable <laughs> delivery, www. No, but it's, it is all about best practices and sharing information, right? So what do they do or what kind of environment do they create that um, allows people like you to say such positive things? Moravia has done a really good job of holding on to that small company feel mm -hmm. as they've grown, mm -hmm. right? I remember when I first started there, I was so impressed because the CEO, Tomas Kratikville, would come to town and he'd say, Tucker, like, how, how are you? Mm -hmm. You know, how is that? Whatever it was we were talking about last time, he was a, like, he knew me. Yeah, and yeah, I was just, yeah. you know, some senior PM working on some, you know, the Windows phone account or whatever it was. Sure. And 
like he knew me and that's the small company feel where the, everyone feels valued mm -hmm. in the company and I see a lot of companies struggle to hold on to that as they grow as they get external investors sure. is the big one right well I mean look at the industry now I mean if, if everybody, everybody has, has, has external investors right, right, right. right so and Moravia grew yep. Moravia got external investors and they did a really good job of holding on to that yeah they have you know an annual Christmas party in, in Brno my one of my biggest regrets is I never got to attend their annual Christmas party because mm. it was the you know the thing of legends okay. right <laughs> you know that type of stuff right. right and really valuing your employees not treating your team members like resources mm -hmm. right actually I hate these it's such a commonly used word. Did you hear that sarcasm in my voice when I said yeah, resources, yeah. <laughs> right? Yeah. And this idea that you can basically like objectify project managers, vendor managers, salespeople, these different functions, like that you can processize these things or standardize processes. To the, now, don't get me wrong. Process standardization is very important, but it's not a replacement for hiring smart people and supporting them and treating them like human beings, right? And making them feel like they're part of the team and that they're empowered to do what needs to be done. Well, um, and when you do that too, you gain a certain amount of loyalty. So if somebody mm -hmm. has to go above and beyond, stay up late, work the weekend for uh, you know some type of special project, they're much more willing to do that yeah. if they have that bond or that relationship with you and the company. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, some of the most dedicated folks that I've worked with in this industry, they're, they're project managers and they're not motivated by money or from the company or the company vision statement. They're motivated by their team members. Absolutely. Managers don't motivate people mm. to do a better job. People aren't afraid of letting down their managers. People are afraid of letting down their team members. Right. I, I would agree with you. Yeah. So one of the best things that you can do at an LSP or any company is build a strong team that views itself as a cohesive team and wants to support each other. Makes sense to me. Let's jump tracks here a bit. You and Renato co-published the book, The General Theory of the Translation Company. We did. Thank you for the plug. Yeah. Um, and I've read the book. It's available on Amazon. I think there's an ebook version is, uh, available as well. There is. And I tell you, I, I listened to your podcast with Renato and there's like a 10 second clip where you're just gushing over how much you love the book. And I just put that on repeat and listen to it over and over again. Uh, well, I wasn't intending to massage anybody's <laughs> ego, but if that was a side effect, then good for that. Um, I, but I, I, you know, and I'm not going to gush too much more right now, but I did enjoy the book. Uh, again, you. I've been around the industry long enough to where I thought that I kind of knew it all, um, or at least a big chunk of it. And it, it really opened up some new um, insights for me. One of them was the whole dynamic about, I'd always seen, you know, if you're not our company, you're a competitor. You guys made a very strong case about how there's a whole ecosystem when we're all kind of interdependent on, on each other. Mm -hmm. It was nice. But tell us, I mean, how did you guys come up with the idea for the book and what was your role? And yeah. So the book is based upon Renato. I, I mentioned I was down in Monterey teaching a weekend course with Renato a mm -hmm. couple months ago. He taught that last year, mm -hmm. right? So the book was based upon a slide deck that he'd put together to teach that weekend course. Okay. Right. And he called me one day and said, Tucker, I want to write a book. I said, good for you, Renato. Like, I hadn't talked to the guy for months. Sure. Right. I was like, good for you. Like, that's awesome. Pat on the back. He said, no, no, no. I want you to write it with me. And I said, oh, okay. Um, okay. 
why right right, right. like i'm not a writer I, i've written some blog posts yeah. at my previous companies mm -hmm. and stuff and and he says because i read your facebook posts and they make me laugh that's important because i'm <laughs> i'm just sarcastic yeah right i've had and sometimes oh uh, yeah so who did the artwork in the books <laughs> I did the artwork. So my previous projects, because I needed a side project. Okay. I was going to say, you know, the fishing season was over and I needed something <laughs> to do, right? And so my previous thing was I, I bought myself a domain and mm -hmm. I was going to start a web comic. Okay. Right? So it was called Cynicism. Okay. Right? Whatever. It was a vanity project, right? So I had already started doing this comic stuff and was teaching myself a little bit about like WordPress and stuff. And that's when he called me and I said, okay, but... Can I use my comics? He's like, sure. Comics were great. No problem. I, I, I think you did a really good job of kind of crystallizing or summarizing some of the key points in a funny or humorous fashion. And it just helps you kind of retain that information a little bit. Well, and, and that's exactly what we're going for. And this is what we're going for with NIMSY. When we publish research and we, when we publish writing with NIMSY, it's the same way that, uh, the same approach that we took to the book, which is, I don't care how great your information is, if you don't read it, it's worthless, right? Right, And I can't tell you how many books I have on my bookshelf that I bought about localization. I have this one about game localization, right? Like electronic video games. Yeah. Uh, Sounds man, exciting, man. I can't. <laughs> I'm joking. <laughs> I've, I picked it up. It's, it's like, uh, you know. And if you're in the, in the game localization space, I I apologize for my uh, no, sarcasm. It, it's just, it's like, I can't imagine going to a party and saying, oh man, I read this great book about game localization. Well, Unless it was uh, a very... <laughs> Select crowd, I guess. <laughs> it, 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 game localization is something exciting. It's something I want to be excited about, okay. right? But this book, it's just this particular book, and I don't even know who it's written by. There, and there's multiple game localization books, so okay. I'm not ragging Picking on, on the specific book. Okay. And it's just it's a textbook. Yeah. Right. Small print, no pictures, black mm. and white. It's mm. a textbook, and I can't get through it. So you tell me, and I paid a hundred dollars for this book. Wow. Right? So I'm going to write a book. Right. Exactly. <laughs> so one a day. Never happened, but anyway, go ahead. So you tell me how valuable that book uh, how valuable the information in that book is to me right, right. if i can't digest it right. then it's not valuable to me so we wanted to write a book that was entertaining that was light it's 200 pages mm -hmm. right it's very you, you hold it in your hands and it's very unintimidating right. right it's it's like it's not magazine size but it's not encyclopedia sized either it's something you can read on the flight home from low worlds right right and I love it that people, you know, they, they reach out, they reach out on LinkedIn, they reach out on Facebook and say, hey, I read your book, it's awesome. I'm like, it's awesome. Yeah. Like, I don't even care if you think it's awesome. The fact that you read it. Is awesome. It's awesome. <laughs> no, no, seriously, uh, if you haven't read it, get it. If you're interested in, in, in learning a little bit more about our industry, highly recommend it. You did mention local world, so which begs the question, what's up for you in terms of events, travel in 2018? Lots of travel, okay. Because we're going to make lots of money, and there will definitely be budget for it. Okay, right? No, um, I'm well, actually getting. Hopefully, on... that's not a surprise to Renato there. Right? <laughs> He's like what? Renato will start selling. Yeah, I'm actually going to hop on a plane here next week, I think, and we're going to head over to Dublin. Okay, visit some clients over there, do a little consulting. We're going to meet one of our new team members who we're onboarding. We're very excited about. The team is growing. 
So that'll be my first Nimsy trip. Oh, right. Well, yeah, you were at Local World last last year. I was at Local World, but I was still with Moravia. Oh, you I was were. Representing oh, Moravia. That's, what, that's what I thought. Uh, yeah, okay. Yeah, well, I was representing right. Moravia, and I was also promoting my book. Okay, right. Gotcha. And the book's technically not Nimsy, but come right. on, it's yeah. yellow. It's right. the same colors. Okay. <laughs> but yeah, I want to travel as much as possible. Um, I had to to sell this new going into business for ourselves thing to my wife. Kind of had to make certain commitments about not traveling as much, right? Because you know, with with my previous company, I was traveling quite a bit. So I'm looking forward to being able to pick my own travel. And this is something where Renato and I make a great team, mm-hmm. and I'm so excited to be working with Renato. Why? Because I need him, and he needs me. Okay. Right? I bring structure, and then this is why we work so well. Bring writing the book together, right? I, I can bring some structure to his grandiose ideas. Okay. And he can go out and he loves traveling the world and drinking fancy wines with fancier people. Okay. Right. <laughs> I love staying at home and playing with my spreadsheets. Right. So it sounds like a match made in wherever. It's beautiful. I love it. <laughs> you so, guys complete each other. <laughs> yes. So I see him like once every three months when he actually comes back to town mm-hmm. and he can go and do the world traveling. But I, I definitely will be part of that. We want to be big supporters of Loke World. We want to be big supporters of some of these other industry events. Boston in the spring? Boston? I think it's in Japan. In oh, well, Loke World, but uh, Gala has a, an event in Boston. Right, uh, for example. Yeah. Well, we want to have a presence at all of those. Okay. Um, our colleague, Konstantin Dranch, yeah. over in Europe, he can just hop on a train or hop on a plane and go to a bunch of European ones. I'm so jealous of the Europeans, especially after living in Japan and having a train that works everywhere. And then you heard about what happened here last week with the Amtrak. Yeah. That was a really sad. Um, anyway, so it sounds like you're going to have an exciting year in 2018. Yeah. Um, any big, bold prediction? Let's, why don't we start with the industry? Oh, jeez. More, more consolidation? Oh, pff, yeah. Yeah, I'm going to go out on a limb and say we're going to see some <laughs> mergers and acquisitions in 2018. Um, I mean, but I, how, how does that play out when all the biggest companies are owned by PE? I mean, is it so now you have a situation where, I mean, how, how's that going to play out? So, I mean, I heard someone say, I, it's not my idea, I can't take credit, but someone said, we're going to keep seeing private equity companies buying up low companies because they're the only ones stupid enough to pay the prices that are being asked these days, right? Because the valuations we're seeing are just insane, right? It's like, wow, you're paying how much for that company? But that's good. That's good for... Can you can you share with us any, any of the multiples that you're seeing out there? I will defer to my more financially minded colleague, Constantine. Okay. He can come on your podcast. By the report. Okay. Yeah. He's, he's the financial guy, but yeah, I don't know if it's good for the industry or bad for the industry. I would say though, and we talk about this in the book, it's a wash because for every company that merges with another company and creates this big Megatron company, it's just going to open up new niches for smaller, more flexible companies. Because every time a company grows, they get less flexible. Sure. Right? Yeah. So it's gonna open up and we see this and we see this in the TMS space mm-hmm. right now. And I think one of the best things, here's my prediction for the industry. One of the best things that we're going to be seeing in the industry is the rise of language technology companies, right? That for so many years, it was just dominated by, you know, it was Trados. Right. Like, do you have, to say, do you have a cat tool was to basically say, do you have, you have Trados, right? Right. And now we have so many of these little flexible, hungry startup companies coming on the scene. And not all of them are good. Right. 
Um, but some of them are. Yep. Right. Some of them are kicking butt, and they're going to be more flexible than the big players. And the big pl- what it's going to do is it's going to force those big players to start innovating, right. or they're going to start losing market share. Well, you see it if you look at the numbers for for SDL in terms of their technology sales. Um, they're taking a hit, and you're you're seeing, like you said, a lot more smaller, medium-sized technology providers out there. Warby, um, not to plug us, uh, but we, we're doing extremely well right yeah. now, um, and it's one of the comments that I hear most often in the market is, wow, you guys are so much more flexible mm-hmm. and you're, you know, in, both in terms of the, your technologies and features that you offer, the platform is customizable and just the service. And, you know, so the service is huge. It's, it's massive, it, especially if we it, talk about that SD situation. I mean, there's certain British or UK-based companies that aren't known for their customer service, right? But doesn't mean they can't change or won't change. And in fact, they probably have to, otherwise... But they won't if there's no competition. Right. Right? And that's competition is driving it right now right. right and one thing let me plug word b here okay because I, I was please please <laughs> i was looking at Speak it speaking of the microphone yeah and what we're seeing is this like a few years ago it was all about apis right right it's still about apis open apis but let's take that one step further people don't just want to know that you have an open api that they can go build stuff off of and integrate what they want to know is, do you have integrations already built out? Sure. And I go to the WordB website, and I just scroll down. And it says integrations. Right. It's like here's forty things. Right. That there's already, and it's not just WordB. There, there's other companies out there doing the right. same thing. Right. Right. And I'll tell you, like starting out Nimsy, it's I don't have an IT department. I don't have an HR department. I don't, it, it's me, yeah. maybe, right? So I've got to figure out like, okay, what are we using for email? What are we using for a server? What are we using for um, CMS, CRM, all this stuff. And I've largely built out that ecosystem now. But when I was first doing it, the first thing I would go to when I was researching different products and services is I'd go to the tab that says integrations. Okay. And if they integrate, if they played nice, if it didn't play nicely with like Google for right. duh, right? Right, right? Slack, right? some of these things that are just so prevalent, mm-hmm. I didn't even look at it. Right, it's just too much work. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Okay, well, hey, uh, don't want to take up too much of your time here. Would like to wrap things up. Uh, you've been living in Seattle for how long? Oh, I think I've been here about eight years now. Oh, eight years, okay. Oh, God, that long. So, so when you're not running companies, founding companies, writing books, publishing uh, cartoons, what, what else, what do you do for fun in the Seattle area? Oh, Seattle, one thing I love about Seattle is that we've got all the advantage of a big city, but mm-hmm. we're also so close to nature, right? So I can get out there. We live right across the street from the Arboretum. Mm-hmm. I've got my little inflatable kayak. I can go hop in that with my fly rod, go out there and catch some little dinky fish. Yep, yep. And it's great. It's like I can feel like I'm in nature while I'm floating under the 520 bridge. Absolutely. In fact, when I was living overseas, people ask, often ask me, you know, what do you miss about America? Uh, and I said, nature. Yeah. I mean, the, the ability to just get in your car and 30 minutes be out surrounded by mountains and trees and rivers yeah. and, and nobody else. Yeah. yeah. It's, it's pretty cool. And by the way, since you live in that area, I, sometimes I, get, I have a challenge when people come to visit here, you know, where do you take them? And I don't like going to all the regular tourist places, but I did something fun the other day is um, on Lake Union, you can do the uh, electric boat 
ride and you can get 12 people on these electric boats. Oh, yeah? Uh, you, they've got a sound system. You can take your own beer, wine, whatever, chips, and go out there and, and you cruise around for a couple hours. It's pretty nice. Nice. Yeah. So, well, hey, Tucker, um, I really appreciate your time. It was great talking with you and uh, wish you, Renato, the rest of the Nimsy gang an awesome 2018. Yeah, thank you, sir. It's been nice to be here. Well, Tucker, I really appreciate you taking the time to be on this edition of Ward B's International Buzz podcast. And I'd like to thank all of our listeners for listening. This is Mark Schreiner, and I hope to talk to you again soon. Wishing everybody a great and successful 2018. Cheers, everybody.